Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I have chapped lips. And from you running are, in the cold. And your name is. And I am Zach with chapped lips from running in the cold, dry air. Yeah. Well, there's something you can do about that, you know. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about cold weather conditions. That should have been something we had on the list, but it's good we're talking about it now. That's why I mentioned it. Adverse conditions. Even if you are not training somewhere with wintry weather, this episode can still apply to you because adverse conditions also include running on sand and running on trails even. So talking about adverse conditions and winter running specifically with Anna Dalton from Alaska. Who may also have chapped lips from running in the cold, dry air. Maybe. I don't know. We didn't ask her that question specifically. (laughs) You're really focused on this. My lips hurt. Oh, man. Well, you're still able to smile, so that's good. So before you do anything else, be sure to head to a to zrunning.com. Click the word follow so that you don't miss anything great that we're doing. And head to YouTube and subscribe so that you can see how chapped my lips are via the video feed. And of course, why do we want you following and subscribing? Because we really truly want you involved in the conversation. We want to have some kind of exchange of ideas with you because that's where this kind of stuff comes to life. And if you were to share a comment on any of these platforms, social media and otherwise, or a question, we might just talk about it on air. Like this question from Pete, a resident favorite around here. Pete Mumbauer shared the question, how many shoes do you typically have in rotation? and any benefits to rotating multiple pairs of shoes. So naturally, Pete already knew some of the answer to this question, which is many shoes in (laughs) rotation. Many, But how many many do you actually need? That's the question he's asking. Now, how many does Zach want to be rotating? Well, so runners at large generally like running shoes, Mm -hmm. and runners at small, in fact. And what we tend to find is that when you can have a couple of pair of shoes to rotate through different runs, especially if they're not identical models of shoe, that has some value for a number of different kinds of reasons. You know, if you have one shoe that's lighter and a little bit stiffer, one shoe that's softer and more cushiony, then you can exchange those for different reasons, different purposes. Uh, But also, in general, your shoes last longer when you don't wear them every day. Is that a compression thing? That has something to do with the compression of the foam. And, and some of that kind of stuff. Um, you give your shoe a little bit longer to decompress and it generally can last longer. Now, most shoes probably can accomplish that in about a 24-hour period, um, but certainly there's some potential benefit. And of course, the first thing that I noted, if they're different models, you can have more benefit there. So personally, I like to have five or six pairs of shoes <laughs> in a constant rotation Excessive. because I have two of each of the models that I'm rotating regularly, as well as a flat, some kind of like training flat. Um, and then I generally have a shoe like in this winter conditions where I have like ice spikes drilled into the bottom mm. of them or a trail shoe that I'll wear when it's not winter conditions on trails. So a five or six pair is fairly accurate. That's a lot of shoes, Zach. Yes. <laughs> that sounds a little excessive. And not nearly enough. I do need to mention because we're talking about adverse conditions, I think another great practical reason to have two pairs of shoes in rotation is that if one pair gets wet, 
It gives you more time for them to get dry before you use them again if you have an alternate pair. Also, then you have a second pair if you end up going on the treadmill and it's less dangerous because you're not slipping on your treadmill or indoor track wherever you're running. So that's another practical reason to have two pair of shoes. Yeah, and if any of you have been running 20 years or longer, as some of those at this table have, then you'll probably recall a day when in order to get a pair of shoes to dry out within a day or two, you needed to stuff it with newspaper or something like that. Now, of course, naturally, that's no longer the case. They make these shoes with much better material than they used to, the, the you know the fast drying types of stuff. And if you put those shoes near like a heating register for 12 hours, they're going to be dry. But still not a bad idea to have that extra pair. Well, Zach, we're not supposed to be getting into all the tips now. We have to get to the world of running first. Oh, yeah, that's right. We do have a couple of things to talk to you about in running news. great that we have so much great practical content for you and a great guest and a Dalton because world of running is really slim this week it's quite slim that's because there's just this is the time of year when not as much is happening and if it weren't covid time we'd have a lot of indoor like college and, and professional indoor running starting up but a lot of that isn't currently starting up mm-hmm So USATF has officially announced that they will no longer be doing the indoor uh, championships, the national championships this year. Which is a bummer. Um, The world championships, the world indoor championships had already been postponed until 2023. And if you follow these kinds of things, world indoor championships is one of those events that kind of has years on and years off, depending on when the Olympic year is and some of that. And so this would have been a world championship year if the Olympics were held last year. But of course, with everything shuffling about, Naturally, it made sense to postpone that as well. Yeah. Oh, sadness. Sadness. (laughs) However, we do have a couple of other things to talk about. Yeah, just interesting, right? Interesting things. Thoughts on your radar. So first, we've had Kate Grace on the podcast in the past. And if you didn't listen to that episode, you definitely want to go back and hear it. I'll link to it. Really good stuff. And she recently announced a change in her professional status, not uh, so much the status itself as the team involvement. So she's no longer with Bowerman Track Club. But she has said that she is continuing with Nike. And it stands to reason athletes will make these kinds of changes for a lot of different kinds of reasons. But when you have in, in her situation, she's a very much a middle distance focused athlete. And the team, the group, is a little bit more of like a middle long distance focus, like the 5K type range. And she does 800 mile stuff. So it makes sense that she might not necessarily find as perfect of a fit as she could in other contexts. Mm-hmm. Well, we're excited to follow her because obviously she's got goals. So. We'll keep you in tune. And the final note of comment is that with the Olympics back on the schedule for the summer 2021, you certainly are starting to hear more conversations about Olympics and Olympic teams, as we ourselves have been sharing. And Kenya, and among many other nations, does a fairly interesting thing um, with their Olympic team selections where they don't necessarily do a runoff like the United States does. You know, the Olympic trials race, top three are the team kind of thing um, in most context there are some nuances but uh, many other nations do not do that instead they kind of hand pick their national represent representatives and in this case you have something like where kenya had announced its picks or had chosen quite a while ago when everyone was expecting the olympics coming and 
it raises the question of whether that actually will still hold. And we don't know that for sure. There right. hasn't been a specific declaration from Athletics Kenya or anything that's saying that they're There's making just changes. whispers, rumors. Right. And you've seen some results from this past fall that suggest there are some freakishly fit athletes yeah. who are not originally on that selection who might be worthy contenders. Yeah, like Perez, Jep Chirchir, you've heard us mention her, especially in that best of 2020 because she's gotten, yeah. you know, World records. <laughs> Women's only world half record and a great marathon performance. And Kibi Watt Candy. And Kibi Watt Candy for the men running a world world half marathon record. Yeah. An astounding performance. So when you have things like that going on, you, you wonder whether they'd consider making changes to that team. And yeah. we don't know, but we'll let you know if we find out for sure. Absolutely. Well, that was short and sweet, but we got a great conversation coming up for you. get to a great interview with Anna Dalton, who is a cold weather running expert living in Alaska, training in Alaska and competing at the highest level. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about conditions and how they can become a factor in our running and our training. And this is all answering the question, how do we train well in these difficult adverse conditions? So first off, we're going to talk about unstable conditions, which I did do an article on and I will link to it. But briefly, I want to just go over a couple of those notes with you. And one is increased soreness. If you're going to be running on unstable grounds, you're going to have increased soreness because your stabilizers are working overtime. Different muscles doing things they're not normally doing, or at least not to that degree. It's a very common phenomenon, and we often think something's going wrong with my training because I'm feeling more sore than normal, or maybe I'm just running on, you know, the first time I run on sand or a trail, the first time you run on ice or snow, those kinds of things. Yeah, a lot of athletes will talk about having, like, dead legs. I experienced that, where I'm like, I just feel dead. Well, it's because all of those muscles are working over time. So you can consider that you will have to spend more time rolling doing some mobility, really working out those trouble spots that can happen because you're running on unstable surfaces. The second thing you can expect is slower times. And I know that seems obvious, but I need to tell all of you that because all of us are tempted to look at those slower times and be discouraged. Once again, thinking something's wrong with my training because I'm running slower than I should. Well, or maybe you ran on ice and snow or sand or trails or yeah. And Anna talks about this later in our in our episode and in our in- interview with her. So you'll want to listen and tune in for that. So we need to manage our ex- expectations so we can wisely interpret the information given to us. And I had put this into the blog post, but your times, your pace is not directly equivalent to your effort and your distance. We wanted to translate perfectly, but you want to know other factors that are part of that equation? unstable conditions, your sleep, fatigue, overall muscle soreness, all those things also contribute to what your pace will be. Everything, in other words. Yes. So form changes, a couple practical tips for you. And form changes, you want to quicken your cadence because you. the last thing you want to do is to be on an unstable surface and to push off really hard and slip and fall. So we want to quicken our cadence, make it lighter, And that might mean that we're increasing the pace of our cadence, but it's just a lighter footing. In addition to that, we also want to pick up our feet more intentionally because there's going to be mounds of dirt, mounds of ice. Wherever you are that has these unstable conditions, you could clip it and fall. So you would be very aware of lifting your feet. 
And the third thing, our fourth thing that you can expect is maybe footwear changes. Mm. We started out with the episode kind of talking about footwear. And Zach had mentioned, I have a pair of shoes that have ice spikes in them. This might be something you want to consider. If you want to get out in those really difficult conditions, you might want to put some ice spikes in your shoes. That's what I did. Drove out to dirt because you don't want to you don't want to run on pavement at all. When you're in these spikes, it's bad for you, bad for your shoes, bad for everything. Bad for the pavement. Probably. Um, yeah. So you're going to want to drive to dirt and then do your run from there. But you still will be sorry. It just is less dangerous. Yeah. And I, I would think in general with the footwear thing, too, um, there's a lot of like attachables, you know, the the yak tracks and some of those kinds of things. And many people find success with them. Um, it's just always important to remember whatever the thing is that I'm changing um, even if it's something as simple as we're put, putting little spikes in the bottom of my shoe, um, it's going to have another impact on my on my foot strike, on my cadence. You know, those factors change ever so slightly. And so it, I could expect my feet to be a little bit more sore mm. than they normally would be. Um, any Anything like that. And so there's a little bit of an acclimation period with all of this. And we, mm. we have to always expect... Whenever there's a dramatic change in the season, weather and things like that, whenever there's a dramatic change in the scenery and the geography, like the, the surfaces I'm running on, expect those things to influence how I'm feeling and potentially leave me a little bit more tired or a little bit more sore than normal. Well, that's a perfect segue into training modifications. There might be potential training modifications that need to happen, a change in a workout. Sometimes it's just so bad you might need to take the day off. You might need an extra day for recovery. So there's a lot of things that can factor in in training as well when you consider that you're doing something different. You're demanding something different from your muscles and your fibers as you're firing. So a couple of quick comments about the cold weather specifically and some interesting thoughts and research around how that influences us when we're running. Uh, the first one is just the air. So when the air is colder, there's some fascinating research around how that impacts runners um, and, and just people in general, certainly working out or working harder in the cold air like that. We are going to continue pursuing that research further because we want to bring it to you in a, in a wider stretch. Um, however, there's one clear impact that all of us should be mindful of. If you have any tendency toward things like asthma or other kinds of respiratory conditions, the cold weather exacerbates them. Mm -hmm. And that's to be expected with these kinds of things. But um, the research suggests it can do so quite significantly. So that's always going to be the case when I'm an asthmatic person and you know even something as simple as sports-induced asthma that's minor, when I get to running in the cold air, especially for the first few times you know, or as initial running in cold air, um, I should expect a significant impact there. Mm -hmm. And then over time, we'll acclimate a little bit, always do. But for, you know, for someone who already has some kind of respiratory condition, it's likely to be a, a rough experience running in colder air. So practical tips, wearing the gaiter. Um, you've probably heard that before. And then also starting out slowly so you're not demanding that your body is needing more oxygen right away. So really gradually getting into your warm-up to warm up that air um, and to acclimate to the cold. And the second thing we wanted to bring you in these topics that Andy found, and I just find it to be very interesting, is about the the what we're wearing and yeah. about our body heat specifically as we're running in colder air. And before Andy goes into it, just a general comment. I never think about these kinds of things when I'm getting dressed for a run. Just it just doesn't cross my mind. Basically, True I think about from Zach. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I think about what's the most comfortable thing I have that I like to wear and that seems like it would be warm enough. And I got to tell you, first of all, I am 
always either too hot or too cold and almost always it's too hot because I don't like being too cold in cold weather runs. And so I get out there for a run and I'm 20 minutes in and I'm pouring sweat and I'm (laughs) very uncomfortable. So this is an interesting little tidbit. This might be very practical for you if you are like me. Yeah. And this is from a study. So this isn't just like, you know, like this is what I wear. This is like from a study that was done of endurance athletes. Studying the kinds of materials. Study. This is cool. So a quick synopsis, Andy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just very briefly, because we have an awesome interview to get to. Uh, The innermost layer should be moisture wicking because your biggest enemy, Zach, is your sweat. No, that's your biggest enemy. (laughs) because of its stench. Uh, no, but I, what we're talking about here is moisture and how that takes the heat away from our bodies. So we want our base layer to be moisture wicking. And great base layers include um, polyester, synthetic wool. Wool actually can retain heat even when it's wet. Fun so fact. So they say. I know yes. nothing about this, but so it's cool. avoid cotton on your bottom layer, especially. So the mid- middle layer should be insulation. So fleece or wool. Those are great examples of that. Rip little bits of insulation from your walls in your house and stuff it into your clothes. No, don't do that. No. okay, don't do that. And I guess that's kind of obvious, but like layers are great because your temperature will be fluctuating. But an outer layer that protects you against the wind, but is also ventilating is a great outermost layer. So just thinking through a few of those things and knowing that moisture is your enemy. And if you do do longer distance things and the weather is very severe, um, Carol Sepalu had mentioned that she brings extra pair of socks with her because the last thing you want is to be on a 20 mile run or more in her case because she's an ultra runner and have wet feet or a wet head. So those could be kinds of things that you that are easy to just stuff in a pouch or something. That's great advice. And that's a fascinating conversation about how the materials that we're wearing can certainly, as we well know, can impact those things in significant ways. Yeah. So now let's talk about our amazing guest, Anna Dalton. She is from Alaska. As I have mentioned, she trains there and she competed in the Olympic trials marathon. I am so glad that we had a chance to connect with her at the Olympic trials. So she has been on the podcast briefly before for a hang in there moment, which she will talk about again later in this episode. Uh, She lives in Alaska and she has trained 90 miles a week. So she is no stranger to having to navigate training really well at a very high level with conditions as a factor. And Anna Uh, she's notably tough and prepared when she comes into it. She's placed ninth at Mount Marathon, fourth at Montana's run, the rut 50K. So she's done an ultra and fourth at the USA track and field trail marathon championships in Utah. Those are all very, very difficult. She's a very tough lady. So she's an expert (laughs) on being tough. And before we get to this conversation, please hold in your mind the answer to the question, what is the farthest you have ever run on an indoor track? And then compare it against her answer mm-hmm. shortly. Very good. So let's hear from Anna Dalton. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Well, it's been a while. We met at the trials, which was last so February. So long ago. I know. Doesn't it feel like a long time ago? Like a different year, world, universe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, different universe. Yeah, there <laughs> are years in the history of time that are themselves an era. I think this one marks that. Yeah. So Agreed. you did amazing at the Olympic trials. Um, you were like 
you beat your seed and you were in the top half of the race. Um, so you did fabulously at the race and it was a very hard course, hard conditions. We know you're super tough. You're from Alaska. We want to talk about who Anna is and kind of get into like your start to running and how you've started this, uh, marathon elite marathoning journey. Sure. Well, like you said, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, I sort of stumbled into running as a soccer player growing up. I always knew that I could run all game and not be tired kind of thing, but I never really considered running as a sport. I would do local fun runs in elementary school, uh, and I would try and basically beat the boys in my class, which I sometimes did and sometimes didn't. And I remember one year after being disappointed that I didn't beat such and such a boy in my class, my dad suggested like, well, maybe next time you could go for a few runs before this race and train for it. And I was like, no, I, why would I go for a run outside of a race? That's crazy. But uh, come seventh grade, there was a middle school cross country team. And I joined that team with some friends and that's really where it started for me. I had excellent coaches at that age, at age 13 and 14, actually a former Alaska state champion uh, and woman who went to the Olympic trials in the marathon and the 10K. And uh, I actually never lost a race in seventh and eighth grade and just discovered that I was pretty good at the full running thing. And I look back on that time in my life and I just feel so lucky that I had a female coach who uh, really encouraged me in ways that I haven't come to appreciate in just into the last couple years, like looking back on runs with her when I was in eighth grade, when she was telling me stories about the Olympic trials. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't know what that means. You know, I'm 14, like my world was very small, but uh, I continued running and playing soccer through high school. And then just because of injury concerns with soccer, soccer was really my primary sport throughout high school. I made the decision to run in college and it was just kind of seeing a lot of people have knee injuries, having some pretty severe ankle injuries in high school. So yeah, running seems like a much safer, safer uh, sport in that way. So that's sort of how I decided to run in college. And um, I left Alaska. I decided that the whole cold weather thing wasn't for me and I was getting out and I went to school in Los Angeles, which was a bit too much of a change. <laughs> I think if I had gone somewhere else a little bit more similar to home, I probably wouldn't have come back. But I came back to Alaska after college. And at that point, I was pretty done with running. I'd struggled with anemia through college, had figured out that I had a number of food allergies that were probably connected to the anemia, came home and was like, I need a break. I'm yeah, that was many years of competitive running. I'm done. And then with a, a friend that I grew up with, we kind of started doing some local races. And I just am a pretty competitive person and was getting beat in these races. And was like, ah, okay, I should probably start, probably, probably see if I can do a little training. And I joined a group that didn't have a name at the time, but is now called Alaska Endurance Project and trained for my first, uh, well, actually, I ran a marathon in college, but I don't really count that. I just did that for fun. But I trained for my first marathon um, in the spring and summer of 2013. And 
from there, that's where I first was like, okay, I got to get the sub three. And then once I got the sub three, I'm sure Andy, you know, like that, that 245 just kind of calls your name. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a long story, sort of short. Well, I want to, I want to take a backstop though, a little bit, because you have an impressive accolade. You were fourth at the two, 2017 USATF trail marathon championships. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about your trail marathoning. Yeah. So being from Alaska, you know, I've always identified as a road runner. Uh, you know, I grew up doing road races, came from a co collegiate track background, came home and mostly competed in road distances. And in the Alaska running community, there's a pretty distinctified, you're either like a road person or we don't call it mountain running. We call it, or sorry, we don't call it trail running. We call it mountain running because we want to just make sure that everyone knows that Alaska has real mountains. Uh, and I just haven't ever considered myself someone who's good at technical running or especially at technical descending. But I found that outside of Alaska, I'm actually pretty okay <laughs> at that. Um, <laughs> and I was kind of laughing actually at the Olympic trials that I throughout that whole race was passing people on the downhills because I am just not someone who's ever going to be known for her downhill ability, but uh, I found success at the trials in terms of having legs late in the race when no one else did. But I love running in the mountains. I mean, Alaska and Anchorage, especially, you know, Anchorage is the biggest city. It has amazing miles and miles of paved trail, but we also have incredible access to just hundreds of miles of trails in the mountains, or, you know, we can just go off trail and kind of run in the tundra in the mountains. So I've been doing that basically since I can remember, since since I was young um, and been hiking. So I've dabbled in trail races over the years. Like you've mentioned, the Moab, Moab Trail Marathon in 2017, I was fourth. That was the USATF Marathon Championships. And that same year, I also did uh, the Rut 50K in Montana and was also fourth. So I've missed podium, making the podium at a couple mountain runs. And that's something that's absolutely uh on the list is kind of bumping up because that that year I was experimenting with those races then I decided to focus on making sure I had a spot at the trials and my, the plan for post trials is to get back to some trail racing but we all know what what happened to races in 2020. Mm -hmm. So clearly you are no stranger to running racing well in adverse conditions or certainly what us rolled folk would call adverse <laughs> conditions. You know, there was a hill the other day. It was quite adverse. Um, so you've, you've got a lot of different layers here involved in this. And certainly as we're, as we're airing this for our audience, um, it's, it's winter in Michigan where many of our listeners are, um, and certainly winter in several other places where other listeners may be. Um, and, and that tends to bring with it this kind of like sensation of like, ah, running in the winter, you know, it's like, I, and, and I've talked with a few of our own athletes even about this, where they're just not looking forward to the idea of miles alone in the dark, in the snow, in the cold, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, but, but we know there's, there's something to, um, like like yourself, where you've experienced that and, and across many different layers, and yet you can thrive. So part of our hope in this conversation is to get a little bit closer to how you can still thrive as a runner when you're still having to train in unpleasant, undesirable. We, we talked off air about raging at the wind when it's a windy track workout day and you know those kinds of things. How can we still thrive? 
So the the first question along those lines, certainly just thinking about something like the cold, what do we do when we have when we're faced with with these bad conditions? Where do you start? Well, I think the toughest thing on a cold day is just getting out the door. Uh, you know, and so much respect for people in Michigan because you have very legitimately cold winters too. Uh, you know, I think people think Alaska is like always this frigid frigid icebox, and it's not. Anchorage sometimes can be quite mild. Like right now, it's around 18 degrees. I don't think that's very bad. But I also I think um, you just kind of have to adjust what is normal. Like if if you if we reround this conversation to June and it was a 65 degree outside, it was sunny and beautiful, and you told me I had to go run in 18 degrees and like a foot of snow, I'd be like, mm, nope, I will not make that choice. I will get on the treadmill. Um, but I think you know, luckily seasons tend to change rather slowly. And for me, I've always just found that like, okay, it's tough. It's tough when it gets cold, but it's especially tough when it gets dark. Um, so one, make sure you have a really good headlamp because that makes a huge difference. And in normal times, I think just finding some training partners who are willing to get, get you out in adverse conditions, um, you know, during non-COVID times, I've got a great crew of people who are like, okay, we're meeting at this time on Saturday morning or Sunday morning for a long run. And we'll often start in the dark. And that's probably not a choice I would make alone. I'll, you know, I'm great at wasting time before getting out the door and be like, oh, maybe I need a little more coffee. Maybe I need like another piece of toast. But finding other people to keep you accountable um, is just huge in adverse conditions. But on the flip side, I do tend to train alone a good, you know, a good chunk of the time and definitely during COVID. So I think finding those things that like help you stay stimulated and distracted from the fact that like your hands hurt because it's cold out. Um, and like, I personally turn to great podcasts and I love, like you guys have a great podcast, other running podcasts, like keep me entertained. Or, you know, if I'm doing a workout, I will often have my AirPods in and listen to music. Uh, but I think, you know, just finding those different strategies that help motivate you when you know it's going to be hard and just anticipating like, oh, I see that it's going to get cold later this week. I should reach out to a friend and make plans to go for a run or a ski or something. I think that's huge. And I personally am not the type of person who like really needs, you know, I'm going to get my workout in. I'm not going to skip it probably unless it's like there's some crazy catastrophe, but it's so much more pleasant when you have like those little strategies to make it like actually fun, which it can be 18 degrees and snowy can be fun. Um, and it's absolutely beautiful. That's, that's so true though. And, and so that, that thought of, you know, being with other people, so misery loves company. And it's, it's immediately when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's, it's true. But in a, in a positive sense here. Um, but if I'm going to be miserable, at least I can be miserable with someone else and, and I don't feel it. You know, it's, it's that sense of all things remain the same, but it's a better experience. And when we can find ways to accomplish that, like having other people like calling the friend when, when you know it's going to be cold. I like that. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Thanks. So when do you go in? If there, is there a time that you're like, <laughs> okay, I, I have to do my Ray run indoors. When does that happen? So, for me, I think if I know that the conditions are such that it's just not going to be like worth my time, like if it's, 
if there's fresh snow and I know like my hamstring's been a little tweaky or for me, like my temperature cutoff is once it gets to be single digits, that's where I'm probably going to be like, yeah, the treadmill is an okay option today. And, you know, Anchorage, we're super lucky. We have this uh, 413 meter inside track facility, which it was, it opened my senior year of high school in 2008. And it was absolutely a game changer, not just for runners in Alaska, but for all sorts of sports. So there are days when it's like, oof, it's just raw outside. I'm going to go, it's called the dome. I'm going to go to the dome. And that has just been huge in terms of being able to actually hit quality workouts when the conditions are adverse and really just not necessarily safe to work out outside in, um, can go in there. Right now you have to wear a mask. So that's not, that's a whole nother um, obstacle to overcome. I do not like having something over my face where I exercise, but in normal times, it's been amazing. Like in the trials buildup, Andy, I know I've shared with you that I did a 20 mile workout in there where I was doing a long run with quality and I did the whole thing on that track, which Again, don't think I recommend to the average person, but I had uh, my coach there pacing me the whole time, kind of like talking to me, telling me stories as it got tough. And I don't actually have, you know how you have some like memories of a workout that was particularly painful and you're like, oof, I don't want to go back there. That's not how I feel about that 20 mile run. I'm like, oh yeah, there were a lot of people at the track that day. That was kind of fun. And we just switched directions every mile or two and it was no problem. at the time, I probably would have told you like that was really hard and I never want to do that again. But, you know, just having that as an option on the days when it's single digits and, you know, where I live is kind of on the coast. Anchorage is technically a coastal community. Uh, we get a decent amount of wind and cold temps are one thing. Cold temps plus wind. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know in Michigan. Michigan's notoriously windy, right? Yes. <laughs> well, that's the... Yeah, so then you cold temps, wind, and then you add in a little bit of precip, and suddenly it's just like, you know, not only can I barely feel my extremities, but I can't see because you know I might even wear something covering my eyes, but it's blowing through the sides. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's uh, that's totally. so when it when it's safe, that's kind of the or when it's not safe is is a mm-hmm. great barometer in a sense there because that that means it's not always necessarily, uh, you know, if it's if it's blind, blinding blowing snow. That doesn't necessarily mean it's unsafe if what I'm trying to do is a 30-minute jog and I can go, you know, any pace and I'm I'm totally healthy and I yeah. have enough of a light so I can see. Um, you know, so I, I appreciate that filter, though, because there are a lot of reasons. You know, we talk with people about understanding, like understanding your body and knowing kind of where your limits are, what kind of effort is appropriate for a run and all those kinds of things. And that applies to the choices we make about where we run and whether it's inside, outside, what clothing we wear and those kinds of things, too. So... Mm-hmm. That's a keen observation. Thank yeah. you. I was wondering too, do you manage your expectations for a run when it is worse out? Worse. I shouldn't say that. That's negative. If it's colder <laughs> and it's adverse, um, do you manage your expectations with like pace and how you might like roll into the run? Do you give yourself more time? Uh, how does that look? Yeah, I think as I've gotten older and a little bit more experienced, a little bit less attached to pace, I've gotten better at that. And I've also just in the last couple of years really started using heart rate instead of pace, especially 
when you're on trails or you're on snow or you're on ice or it's cold outside um, and actually using a heart rate strap, not just the the watches, which um, as I'm sure you both know are, are almost all very inaccurate, <laughs> especially when you start going fast. So using my heart rate really as a way to monitor my effort. That being said, there are times when, like I can think of a different run I did in the buildup for trials in February. I think it was my last long run where I was like, I am sick of being inside. I don't wanna do another long run on a treadmill or on a trek. I'm doing this one outside. And it was pretty icy. Uh, and I, you know, was like convinced like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll find some pavement. I'll be able to hit these paces. And I didn't like it. The conditions sucked. I was wearing um, shoes that have like a carbide stud built in, which are excellent for ice, but they also just totally ripped up my heels. I actually got rid of them after that because I was really mad at the shoe. I was like, it's the shoe's fault. I would have had a better run if it wasn't for these shoes hurting my hurting my heel, but that's not true. The conditions just sucked. Um, and I think I was thinking like, oh, I'll run 20 miles in average 6.30 pace or something like that. And it was, I ran 20 miles in average 7.15 pace. And I was bummed because I want, you know, you, having a workout go well um, on paper doesn't really matter. Like hard work is hard work, but also I think the confidence you can get from like liking what you see in terms of paces uh, is fairly important before, say, the Olympic trials, like the biggest race of my life up until that point up in, that has happened yet. Um, so I got back in the car after that and was like pretty upset. And my coach was just like, hey, chill out. You're, you're fine. Like you just ran in like the worst conditions ever and you made me run with you and it wasn't fun. Um, and obviously, like, you know, trials went well and I was happy with that result. But that was my last like, hard effort before trials. And I don't think I did the best job of, like you asked, managing my expectations around the conditions that day. You know, I got to say, our our listeners and ourselves included so appreciate your vulnerability in, in this, Anna, because, um, you know, it's it, we, we always like to look at the people ahead of us and think, you know, they don't have this problem. I have this problem of being disappointed with my workout when really there's factors out of my control and all this stuff. But, you know, Elliot Kipchoge doesn't have this problem. Anna Dalton doesn't have that. Problem. But, <laughs> but, you know, we, that advice, though, it, in, in the sense of we know that it doesn't matter on paper, like the numbers are not the point, um, certainly when conditions are a factor, and they always are to some degree. But we also want certain kinds of results at certain times to help give us the confidence and such. And so that's, you know, that's an important tension. So sometimes we make the choice, you know, because – it doesn't matter on paper and I'm not going to pay too close attention. And other times we make the choice, you know, I'm going to try to run this workout on an indoor track for 20 miles and going 400 meters because I need that kind of workout at that time. You know, that that's, that's important. Totally. And it's always a balance. Like I have made a choice long ago for the first time I was trying to tr qualify for trials. And I was like, I know it's crappy outside. So I'm going to do what I did be before trials, do a long workout in the dome but that day I didn't have the option of changing directions. Mm. So a friend paced me for 10 continuous miles. I think at whatever my goal pace was at the time, I believe it was 612. And I had a chronic hamstring issue from that many circles, the wrong direction for a couple years. <laughs> so sometimes it, like being stubborn, you know, it's just better to say, hey, let's not worry about this specific marathon pace and just go outside and run hard and 
make sure that my heart rate's in my marathon range. But, you know, it's taken a few uh, mistakes for me to learn, learn those lessons. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, Anna, I didn't prepare you for this one, but tr- like treadmill. So you've done a lot on the treadmill as well. Do you have any tips for people for doing long runs specifically on the treadmill? Yeah. So I think a couple things that I've done to make those better. Um, one, if you're trying to do some quality on a treadmill, maybe you do your warm up outside in like the crappy cold conditions and get like five or six or depending on how far you're trying to go, maybe eight miles done outside, then come inside, do a quick change and hop on the treadmill. And it, it'll feel like two separate runs, even though it's basically a continuous effort. Uh, I've never gone longer than 20 miles on a treadmill, but I have done 20 on a treadmill. And I think for that particular run, I was pretty immersed in the Netflix show cheer. And that's, that's how I got through that one. So I think just entertainment stimulation, I always make sure I cover the machine and I'm not just like, Oh goodness, we've only got another point one since I last look. Um, so not focusing too much on how far and just trying to do whatever you can to zone out. Mm-hmm. Back in non-COVID days, I've had friends like hop on treadmills next to me at the gym and like made it a social run that way. That's always super fun. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't think most people are in a position to do that right now. But yeah, Netflix and potentially breaking it up and sucking it up and going outside for some of it. That's a good yeah. tip. Yeah, not not staring at that dial of death ticking one tenth every. How long does it take a tenth? Yeah, yeah. There's something about a treadmill that just you, fast paces feel faster, time slows down. Treadmills are tough. Uh, I try and save my treadmill resilience for for the days that I really need it, and not just do easy shorter days on the treadmill, even if it really sucks outside. Mm. Yeah, there's something, I don't want to get existential here or anything, but there's something about how the passage of time and the passage of space are connected. (laughs) And so like you're running outside, time passes better when space is moving too. When you're sitting in one spot, it's not good. (laughs) Totally. But there are runners that kind of, you know, love the treadmill. I think, uh, I don't know if you guys know Brogan Austin. He won CIM a couple years ago when it was the U.S. Championships. And I've listened to interviews with him, and he prefers being on the treadmill because it's like everything can be controlled. So there is that upside, I guess, if, if you're that type of person. But I am definitely not. <laughs> so let's go back to outside. And what are some things that you do? Um, you, you mentioned the light. Um, how about just even outerwear or how you approach getting ready for an outdoor run? Yeah. So I think probably any person knows whether they like run hot or cold. Like we all have that friend who's still wearing shorts when it's, or maybe you don't, but I sure do have a few friends who are like, my, my shorts cut off is 20 degrees, which is completely insane to me. I'm in tights at, at, 35 or 40 for sure. So just figuring out like how your body works in cold temperatures, I think is really important. Um, and just having layer options too. I know my hands and feet are always cold. I have a circulatory issue called Raynaud's disease. So I'm wearing gloves sometimes even in the summer. So I know that about myself. Um, and just 
high quality wool, everything is so it's just been a lifesaver and wool is so so much nicer than it used to be even like five years ago so layering you know finding like the cute hat or headband that makes you excited to like be able to wear it and go out and run but also like make sure it's big enough so like your headlamp doesn't like slip down on it you know those sorts of things and I think for me it's like fun to find cute winter clothes that you like wearing um mm. and just having a lot of different options in the summer she's no rules maybe bring a layer maybe don't I don't know I'm probably too blase about that for where I go run in the summer sometimes but that's awesome um I was also wondering like before your pre-run do you change anything like if it's really cold do you do more indoor warm-ups um like do you do a lunge circuit before like what do you do to warm up before you go out to run and I'll preface this just a touch more because um my my coach currently I'm being coached by Barry McGee in in New Zealand, um, so it's you know distance coaching, but um, distance coaching. <laughs> so he he recently just told me he's like you got to watch out for that cold. Um, until I was trying to tell him how cold it actually was, he didn't really fully understand what I meant when I said it was cold. Um, but then when he did, so his point was you should be getting um, what did he say olive oil or vegetable oil and massaging your legs before the run, coating them with oil and massaging them before the run. That should be the warm up, and I thought to myself, I've never tried that before, but you know, so that's that's a unique idea. But that's that you know, that's one direction. But also, certainly, like our standard drills and and dynamic warm ups and any of those kinds of things. What's what is it like for you? I have never heard about the oil. That's um, wow, that's a new one. It I think it's a like carryover. I think it, sorry, it's, I think it's a carryover from like the 1960s. That's probably why yeah. We no, that's how. I mean, I remember. Yeah, I remember like people um, competing in races at the collegiate level in Alaska, like covering themselves in Vaseline. Like if you're basically trying to race in like buns and a sports bra, like having to do something to keep your body warm when it's not wearing enough clothes. Vaseline, I've heard, but not the oil. I am pretty terrible about doing any sort of pre-run warm-up routine, but if it's really cold outside, what I will do is I'll just make myself a cup of tea because um, it's basically like drinking water, but it like very much warms me up. I respond, my body is like, if I drink a hot liquid, I'm hot. If I drink ice water, I'm cold. So I know that about myself and I'll definitely drink some tea and make sure that I don't go into a run with like cold hands or cold feet, which are both pretty standard for me. So make sure I'm like walking around the house in my slippers and warm socks like maybe change and put on a fresh pair of socks before I go um, and then have some tea if it's really, really cold outside. Cause there's, it's so much nicer to go outside warm than like go into a cold run cold. That's, that's really tough. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. We, we never would have guessed your answer would have been a hot cup of tea, but it's, <laughs> it's so logical. That's it is. <laughs> that's a good one. So now I'll have Vaseline and cups of tea, right? <laughs> and he's going to yeah. cool himself with Vaseline and, and drink tea. <laughs> warm up. Something. Um, so I guess, Anna, I would like to hear from you if there's people that are, are having a hard time during colder season or adverse conditions, what would you tell them and kind of look forward to with their training in the winter? You know, I think I saw 
a tweet from Steph Bruce at some point that that was just really simple and it was like no one ever regrets getting out for that run uh so I think like I said before just the hardest part is about getting out the door and if you can do that like you've already won you know it doesn't you don't need to you know set set reasonable goals too like I think if you decide like oh I'm gonna I, I need to go run 10 miles today but it's gross and terrible and you're not done with work until it's dark out adjust that like get out for a four mile run and you're gonna have more energy in the evening and you're gonna have a better night dinner is gonna taste better if you go for that run stuff like that so I think for me um when it's tough for me or if I'm in a little bit of a motivation rut just kind of adjusting those goals and being a little less stubborn about hitting particular mileage goals or um, goals in terms of the number of hours I work out. And if I really like running sounds bad, you know, maybe most people probably don't have this option available to them, but I definitely will go, okay, I don't feel like running today, but I'll go for a ski. That sounds nice and get out on some beautiful groomed ski trails and just appreciate that. Yeah. Winter is tough, but it's also really beautiful. Or if I'm like ugh, outside, like go work, go do a garage workout. Or, you know, if in normal times, hopefully we get back to those soon, go, go to the gym and like be warm. I'm a big proponent of like the novelty of getting to wear shorts during the winter is important. So like find those ways to exercise indoors and like show everyone your pasty legs that don't see the daylight ever, you know? Are you sure you want to give us permission? <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> All right, you heard her, Andy. Permission granted. Pasty wet legs, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anna, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure catching up with you. Yeah, it's really nice to talk to you both again in just sort of a totally different time than February 29th when we were last in the same place. Yeah. Well, we'll be keeping track of what you're up to and your recovery and hopefully see you at the trail championships uh, next year. And then down the road, maybe we'll like meet up at some races. Maybe we'll be able to see each other at some of those yes. marathons. I mean, I won't yes, be doing I trail. Cannot... <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, trail championships, definitely in my future, but also I'm really looking forward to when that uh, next trial standard comes out and we all have something to shoot for. I'm thinking it might be faster than 240 and I'm, I hope I'm ready for that because sub 240 is kind of the next road marathon goal for sure. Mm, there you go. It's a good goal. Well, thank you so much, Anna. Have a good one. You're welcome. You too. Bye. Well, that was an inspiring conversation about dealing with adverse running conditions. So especially for us, West Michigan and plenty of other places in the United States, but and other parts of the world, um, any of us who have to deal with the running in cold and snow, um, there, there's some important lessons there. And I really appreciated Anna's sharing her insights. Andy, what was your big takeaway? My big takeaway was that it doesn't need to be a perfect scenario. That she, Anna made it work despite it being imperfect and it was still fulfilling the needs of her training. And I had actually read an article uh, that Alaska Daily did talking about how Anna was training and not knowing if those times were going to translate to 
or her training times. We're going to translate into um, her goal times. And she did. She ran 217 in the half when she was leading into the Olympic trials. 117. During, is it, what did I say? You said 217. Two, yeah. 117. <laughs> excuse me. 117. That That's a really, really fast half marathon time. And that was during the thick of the winter. So all that to say, you're not going to see the feedback, but it is preparing you for your future race. And any of you who have heard fathers, uncles, or other figures who tend to exaggerate things and make silly jokes say that claim that they, when they were young, had to walk to work 10 miles through you know blizzards and 10 feet of snow uphill both ways, they clearly hadn't met Anna Dalton, who, for work, runs 10 miles in the snow uphill both ways. Okay, bad joke, I know. But when we think about these kinds of things, the, the thought of... We've got to find a way to get in the quality training if we can and however we can. Um, and it's still quality, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Yeah. And so what what is the goal of the run and how can I best do that that day? And so some days it means the treadmill. Some days it means going outside, even if it's not, you know, even if it's blowing snow in a blizzard, that's a better way to accomplish, you know, two hours on a treadmill might not be good for you as it is apparently not good for me. Uh, but what what does it take to get in the quality running? And that's where she talks about that, you know, that huge workout on the indoor track where she basically ran forever on an indoor track, you know, but that was what she needed to do to get in that mm-hmm. effort for that day. So there's not a perfect solution with these kinds of things. Uh, but at the same time, we shouldn't be trying for perfect solutions because that's not what it takes She's to just reach doing the, work. the goal. That's what I love about Anna. She's just like, I just got to do the work. Like, mm-hmm. She puts in what she needs to do and had great confidence going into her racing season. So I think that for all of us, we can take it away, take away like that kind of grit and determination that Anna has. If you want to follow Anna, which I totally recommend, you can find her at Anna E. Dalt. And that's on both Twitter and Instagram. And make sure that you connect with us and share, comment, and certainly ask the questions that you have on your minds because that makes this experience better for everyone.